Welcome to the Silk and Slopes Conversations. We're here with Jesse Silva, who is the founder and general partner of Maddox Capital. How are you? Good. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You betcha. Thank you, everyone, for joining. All right. You were on the podcast a while back, a few months ago, and um, I'm lucky that I get to listen to a lot of really cool stories about entrepreneurship, and uh, I thought, man, that's a good story, really unique, and uh, we should tell it again. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. All right. So um, I, some of the coolest parts of your story, and there's a lot, are the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey. So let's start there. Uh... I, I, I guess I can go all the way back. I, I from California. I rode professional motocross until I was about 16. Got in a bad car accident, and uh, was ejected on the freeway at 85 miles an hour. And uh, in Fillmore, of all places, I did my my physical rehab here in Salt Lake City, and uh, I was here for about a year, year and a half, and uh, met the mother of my children during that time. And she's from here, and forced me to stay here. So. Um, I got to know Utah pretty well. I, I liked it. California was a little easier back then, I feel like. Um, so I wanted to go back, is what I'm saying. I went, we ended up moving back to California. Uh, and this is, this is when it, it, there was a little bit of a depression. The, the, the state was sending IOUs out in, in tax return season. So we packed our things and moved up to Utah. Um, worked at a, a bar at night and, and drove a tow truck during the day. And the company that I was working for wasn't, wasn't the best company, so I, I started my own. And uh, about 10 years and 170 acquisitions later, sold it to private equity and went and worked with that firm for about a year and deployed about half a billion dollars there. Went to Little Caesars in, in the corporate M&A division. Um, I, I had seven of my own Little Caesars, and then I, I, I sold that and went to... Uh, start my own venture capital fund because that, that's kind of what I, I think my calling was. So we uh, had our first fund. We think it was really successful and then uh, launched Maddox Capital, which is a bigger fund, bigger checks, um, later stage. And here we are. That's the synopsis. Yeah. And we're going to uh, dig in on that because you skipped <laughs> over some of the cool parts. Um, good entrepreneurial story there. You're with a company, tow truck company. And you are the first one on stage to have ever said that. Didn't like it, started your own. But then how did you do it better and do a big uh, roll-up of acquisitions and ultimately sell it for a ton of money? That's the <laughs> cool story part. Uh, so just like every, I, I guess, entrepreneur, I had uh, four or five years of hardship. It was uh, waking up on Wednesday and knowing payrolls on Friday and which credit card am I going to put payroll on this week. Uh, there was about four years of that, five years of that. <clears throat> Before I think it finally clicked, I hired a couple of developers out of the U and uh, put them to work in basically what was supposed to be a bathroom, but we, we tore it out and put a couple developers there. Anywho, we built an in-house CRM, which was originally for me, and uh, there was another uh, local company that wanted to use it, and I, I realized one day, a couple months later, that I could see their analytics. I mean, obviously, I knew I could see them, but... Um, I went on a tear. I picked up the phone the next day and started calling every tow company that I could find in the phone book and on Google and tried to get them to take this for free. Um, it, took, it took about a year, but over that year, we had about 300-something companies on this CRM. And I, did, I, did, I guess I didn't, I didn't have an M&A strategy in the beginning, but 
became very clear that it's not it's not an industry that you can grow, and we were trying to upset the industry by by changing a lot of the uh, you know I guess the 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 thesis behind a, t a normal towing company as opposed to towing cars. It was more of kind of a, a parking strategy. Anywho, um, out of the 350 in the first year of the companies that were on the CRM, I acquired about six of them. Uh, and then the second year, we acquired, I think it was like 30, 40 the next year, and just just kept going. There were smaller acquisitions in the beginning, anywhere from 300,000 to 3 million. Uh, did one acquisition for about 25 million, and it, but, but like I said before I knew it, I, 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 that's all I was doing. Um, we were in nine states, and uh, I, I, the the problem was that I was I was the biggest towing company in the United States, and there's no no strategic that could buy me. Um, I was looking at more um, space to keep cars and, and start another uh, bigger office. Walked into a, a building and turned out to be the fund that ended up buying my company. I asked him for. Some, some some of his acreage, and he said, hey, I'd like to buy your company. We own a big piece of Copart and Terrapart. We'd like for you to replicate that strategy uh, and, and acquire as many sal uh, salvage yards as you can. So he sat me down, bought my company, and made lots of promises. Um, and I, like I said, I deployed about half a billion there. But yeah. I can get further into it if you want. Yeah, so um, I love that you know, strategy, you're burning the candle at both ends, and um, you can see the analytics. And uh, so your first acquisition, right? You, normally you'd hire a broker for your house or an M&A banker for your business. Um, you had to learn that all by yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah, I, had, I, I was a really small company back then, so the ba banks weren't sending me emails or hitting me up on LinkedIn trying to, trying to get my business. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know much about debt financing or leverage, so I used the company cash. Uh, I, I don't think I gave myself a raise for almost four years. Uh, basically just put as much money as we could back into the business. But I, I, I remember the first acquisition I did. The, the owner of the company, his father helped me acquire his son's company. And uh, I started reading books and, and taking classes online in M&A, and uh, second acquisition was much better. But yeah. first one was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you land on a number. Here's the valuation. Here's how many tow trucks we have. And um, you had kind of an inside track because you had that brilliant idea to give them all the, yeah. the CRM. All right. And then um, successful exit. And um, you had obviously learned a lot um, doing all of those mergers and acquisitions. And that entails a little bit of venture, a little bit of private equity, a little bit of old-fashioned finance. Um, you mentioned some promises were made. And... Um, probably not kept to the level of your uh, acceptable standard. And you, by that point, had learned there's better ways to do this. Talk about that stage. Yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't talk crap about any, any company specifically, but the, the, the specific fund that I went and worked at, it was, and, and I think during, during this time, uh, this one year time that I spent with this fund, I got the opportunity to work with a lot of big funds, medium funds, uh, we did some syndicate deals, so on and so forth. Uh, when I, I didn't, I didn't want to sell my company when I walked through those doors, so it took some time to convince the the owner, founder, general partner. Sat me down and said, "This is this is going to be okay. Imagine doing what you're doing just with more capital and kind of a, a blank check." And uh, I, he basically sold me on the dream of coming and being the general partner there at that that fund. Uh, I I got a 
an email from all 300 employees were, were attached, CC'd on this email, the day before we closed, and they asked, what does this look like for us? Are, are we gonna, do we need to find new work, it's essentially? And um, I picked up the phone, and I called them, and I said, hey, are you planning on making any staff changes? Because, um, you know, if, if you are, I need to know that now so I can let everybody know. He said no and promised me, and next day uh, they laid off about 100 and something people and put some of their employees in from one of their, from one of their companies. So right off the bat, and, and I got really bad emails from a lot of the, a lot of the employees, so it, it kind of started with a bad taste in my mouth. Um, but we, I worked through it. I was under contract. I had to do what I needed to do. Um, but as I'm going through and talking to the founders of some of these salvage yards and other companies that we were acquiring, I noticed that a lot of the same promises were being made, and uh, a lot of the companies that we would acquire would end up you know, going through some of the same, same things that I went through. Um, and and that, that just didn't sit right with me. So uh, as, as I finished my deployment cycle, I, I left, and, and I, had, I, I, I didn't plan to get into the fun space strictly because of what I dealt with. Um, at the time, I didn't, I didn't even want to start my own and try and change it. So when I went to Little Caesars, uh, I, again, a lot of the same things, j just in the corporate world. So I, after that, I, everybody was telling me, I, said, I had a pretty big chunk of capital. Uh, everybody's trying to get me to start a venture fund. And I said, if I'm going to do it, I want to I wanna truly be different. I'm trying to offer value and not lie to people. <laughs> That's a good way to approach life in general. Well done. All right. Um, so you're transitioning into a, a fund, right, and being a, a venture capitalist. Um, this is like a, what I love about your story is like each stage is like something new, something new to learn, whole new culture, whole new acronyms, whole new way of dealing with things, and your adaptability and flexibility is great. So let's talk about this next stage. You're, like, you're deploying your capital now, right? Yeah, so we launched Skylab Ventures about two years ago. Uh, it, was, it was two people, me and, me and this guy right here in the goofy-looking shirt. Uh, <laughs> we, we, it was basically $15 million of my own money is, was what we came up with. We wanted to launch a consulting strategy and uh, an, an, invest, an investment strategy all at the same time. Um, the plan was to consult with these companies before we invested so we can get a good you know, bird's-eye view. We, we quickly found out uh, that that didn't work. A lot, of, a lot of the smaller companies didn't want us dictating law if we didn't have a piece of the company or you know, our own you know, skin on the line. So we just said, screw it, let's just launch a fund and, and we'll basically launch the consulting strategy days after close. Um, but the, my, my biggest problem with the fund space is the timeline, the 10 years, 15 years it takes to, to sell a company or liquidate. There's many, there's many different reasons for that. One of the biggest is debt and leverage and, and funds get bips and points on said debt and leverage, and there's many different management fees that are involved with that. Um, so when I was being pitched after I sold my company, and I've been pitched by most of them here in the state and outside, um, you know, when I asked the simple question, when do I get my capital back, uh, the normal answer is seven to 15 years. And I get that we're, we're, you're seeing multiples on, on your investment and not percentages, but seven to 15 years, I'm going to be a little bit older and probably not care as much. Um, so I, 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 didn't, I didn't push forward with any of the investments. We decided to go with a one to three year timeline and we spent some time in the partnership side of things trying to create partnerships that could add value with these companies, whether it be from an acquisition standpoint or plugging them into the index, um, into their index. And it, and it worked. Our first company um, was, was strategic. We wanted to sell that company within one to two years. Uh, it ended up beating that, um, which I can't, obviously I'm, I'm, you know, can't talk too much about it, but. 
um, we did six deals in I think nine months and uh, five deals in nine months, and uh, we had to close the fund due to the due to the, the company selling. Got it. And uh, so there's some tweaks and some innovations there, and now we have landed on Maddox, and there's more tweaks and more innovations there. And so from my perspective, there are a lot of pattern recognition principles occurring now. Um, you're figuring out, to get to that one to three year compressed timeline, you've got to really accelerate um, who would be a good acquirer, where's the exit here, where are the shortcomings. And talk about how you guys like have developed and created Maddox to, it is a big tweak. Yeah. In, in funding and, and investing. Um, so how do, how do the deals work now? And uh, give a quick 30,000-foot view of that process. Sure. sure. So Skylab was a $30 million fund. It's a, it was a pretty small venture fund. But at the same time, I acquired a marketing agency uh, and, I, and, I, and a few different companies that we brought in-house to, to plug into these companies post-close and really try and drive some growth. Um, we... we we specialized in media buying, content creation, et cetera, uh, and we gave that to them at very little cost, essentially what it cost to run that show. But uh, the, ch the checks were smaller. It was a smaller fund. So Maddox is, will probably end up closing around $150 million. Um, we, we knew we needed more assets because every company used what we had in spades, and, and I think it worked. Um, so we focused on the partnership side. Again, instead of having one marketing agency, we have four. Uh, instead of having two strategic buyers, we have ten, um, so on and so forth. And the, I think what makes Maddox different is while we're doing diligence of a company, we're doing diligence on the buy side. So we know what we want this company to, to get to as far as revenue is concerned to sell for what we think is maximum um, in, in the market today. Yeah. And um, so for that, it requires a lot of turmoil, scars, some wins, some losses. Um, for example, if I came to you and it was a pretty good company, right? And I was good at three things that make that a good company and we had a decent team, but there was gaps in marketing, uh, go-to-market, and financial planning and analysis. You fill those gaps with your crew, with your assets, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've employed uh, basically an expert in every field. Uh, and then we have advisors on the team that are far smarter than I'll ever be in, in each and every field. Uh, so we also have a, a, you know, a certain number of people that we can staff in these companies from a C-suite level. And, um, the, the, but with that being said, the most important part of, of my job is to find the founder that we can kind of strap our backs to and roll with. Our, our strategy doesn't work if we're having to replace the founder. Um, and it doesn't, doesn't really matter how much money we make. If 10 years goes by and you know founders hated Maddox Capital, then uh, to be honest, it's really it's really all that I care about. Yeah, because for you guys and, and every other fund, um, it's a small community, and if people think poorly of you, that word travels fast. Yeah, yeah, no, especially since in the beginning it was hard for us to raise capital and, and get you know decent companies in the door, and um, I, I don't want to say that I was chastised, but but I'm not your typical general partner. So it was a little hard to get Skylab off the ground. Um, and I, I think we represented ourselves well. I mean, we have anywhere from 20 to 60 deals a week that are uh, inquiring, and uh, deal flow's not our issue. Finding a good founder who's got the balls to go 
hard for two, three years, that's, that's, that's the problem. That's hard. It's hard to find. Yeah, and that is a paradigm shift, right? You'll, um, if you want to be on the cover of Forbes or Fortune, that probably takes 10 to 12 years, right? Yeah, that's not us, yeah. And you might own 3% of your company, and it's a great payday still. Or you can accelerate it and own 30% of your company um, and probably make more money. You'll have a bigger realization if we do our jobs, right? Yeah, yeah that's the whole strategy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, these tweaks are very interesting. So back to the, the pattern recognition. You've got your assets, you've got your team, you've got your gap fillers that provide value instantaneously. Because um, a lot of entrepreneurs, um, if they're open and candid, they're scared about certain things. And uh, as, with anything in life, if you've got somebody that can help you or show you or just do it for you real quick, huge, really huge. Um, and... Uh, Deal flow, let's say you see 20, 30 deals a week, um, several thousand at this point over your career. Um, I assume you start connecting the dots and filling in the gaps real quick, but give us a, a rundown of your brain as you're viewing these deals. Yeah, one, one thing that I've learned um, in, in my career is, is, and this is obvious, but no deal's the same, meaning funds that have a very strict uh, thesis and strike zone, it's, it's very hard for them to be successful because, I mean, you're turning away deals that are a little bit outside of the strike zone, but, you know, they may fit all the other um, things that you want to put in your fund. So we, we, don't, we don't necessarily have a strict strike zone as far as market, sector, or um, specific company type. We, what, what we do take very seriously is revenue. Um, uh, we need something to track. We need something to build on. We need something to reach out to other companies with, etc. So I, I, I look for at least two million dollars of revenue, and that's that's really small in the, in the in the growth fund PE space. But we feel like we have enough value that we can we can drive enough growth to to see that exit in the timeline that we wanted to. That being said. Um, when we're looking at revenue, you get a good idea of the company. We will look at media buying since we have that kind of superpower in house. Uh, understand customer acquisition and most of the founders that walk in our room. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just we we have you know a really good marketing team. Um, we look at FP&A, etc. As opposed to building a model that kind of fits the fund, we're we're truly building a model and bringing in other uh, other companies that that kind of help us put that thing together. Yeah, and all. Of of that accelerates the end result, uh, which could be could theoretically be an IPO, right? But it's usually going to be an acquisition. Sure, we'll we'll, we'll typically sell before any public offering is made. Yeah, and um, so the the song and dance is occurring now at this point, right? Like um, you're helping with your team, and then on your team, who's kind of plowing the field for the strategic acquisition in the future? How do you guys then jump to that point? Yeah, that's that's that part's really my my job to be completely honest. Um, I've I've leveraged most of my my contacts over my career, um, and when when I'm when I'm picking up the phone and dialing, there's there's a million things going on in the background, um, but but that's 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 really my job to be completely honest with you. And so if you got uh, let's this theoretically you've got a portfolio company, and they're consumer goods, right? And um, it sounds like you're dialing a lot and you're connecting and you're helping. Um, there's also like certain metrics and KPIs that through pattern recognition, like if you press these buttons, pull these levers, get to this point, this is usually the result. 
and this is usually the type of company that would acquire you, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I could backtrack here for a sec. We've got, uh, post-close, our strategy is bringing the entire company in, most of our company in, and, and sitting down at the table for six hours and writing a business plan. Um, and there's a, there's a million different ways that you can write a business plan to suit whoever's writing it, but um, we try and truly break the company down, understand each facet of it, um, bring some experts in from, from the market that essentially you know, work with us in, in more than just this specific deal. And again, go to work. We, we, we need to understand exactly how much revenue we need to get this company to to sell for what we want to. So that, that, that takes a million different things, you know, marketing, FP&A, et cetera, like you said. If that specific company needs a COO or it needs somebody that is going to manage uh, media buying, then you know, we'll, we'll plant that in. If they need a home, we'll put them inside of our, our, our corporate center. Um, but we're, we're, all, we're all driving in the same place. You know? yeah. All right. So um, there will be a lot of entrepreneurs listening and watching this. There will be a lot that could be in five years when they take the plunge. Um, if you've got money and you've got to fund what you do, you're going to get pitched on anything. It could be a lemonade stand. Yeah. It could be the next Google and everything in between. Um, where does deal flow come from for you guys? First question. Second question is what is the most enjoyable part of hearing these pitches? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I think where our deal, fro- deal flow comes from is, is somewhat proprietary, uh, in, in my opinion. But I can, I can tell you that a lot of it comes from our partnerships. We're the only fund to have an actual partnership with Pattern, um, and, and, and that's on lock. And we have a partnership with Chamber Media, a partnership with Avalanche Media, and a few other different marketing agencies that are, that are pretty big. Um, that does two things. It helps with deal flow, and then it helps with you know, activities post-close. Um, pa- Pattern and Maddox, I think, have a, a, a very special relationship, and uh, we have access to customers of theirs, and they have access to, to deals of ours if they want them, et cetera. But, um, that, that's where we're seeing so many deals right now, um, plus a few other things that we have in place. Yeah, and people can always just send you an email, right? That's true. Yeah, we get a lot of those. Yeah. And then second question, what is the most enjoyable part of listening to these pitches? Yeah, so there's two, there's two different pitches in my eyes. There's, there's the, the pitch where the guy comes in and says, you're stupid if you don't invest in my company, and you're going to be a billionaire in two years if you invest in my company. I don't want to hear that. I can make my own assumption, and I, 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 want, I want somebody to be humble and, and take the time that it takes to truly break the company down and understand what it, what, what it is behind the cloak and dagger. Because anybody can make a performer look really good. Anybody can paint a, a perfect picture, but I, I want to understand what drives it, what, what the company looks like at night when the doors are closed, etc. So. Yeah, I, I enjoy talking to the founders, and, and when I find the right founder, it's it's hard it's hard not to invest in that company, regardless of the circumstances, because yeah. I was that founder. Yeah, you've been in um, in their shoes, and so it's you know certain investors lean heavily on the revenue or other KPIs, but it sounds like you lean a little bit more heavy on the founder. Yeah, we're we're founder centric for sure. That doesn't mean that we we neglect um, you know the other pieces of the company that that make our strikes on what it is, but um, I, I, think, I think you need a good founder to do what we, what we need to do. Yeah. All right, so the first pitch goes well. There's some mutual feelings of friendship and camaraderie. What happens next at Maddox? Uh, during the diligence period. Yeah, so uh, like, I, like I said earlier, there's 
it all starts with a simple email and 15 different things that we ask for, uh, getting access to a data room, et cetera. But we'll probably have about two meetings and, and again, just try to you know, lift the Komodo, so to speak. Um, trying to get to know the founder, trying to get to know the company, the assets, what its true value is. We have uh, very good partnerships with, with debt and leverage agencies, so we can, we can set up uh, debt, et cetera, if we need to. Um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't typically leverage the buy side. All, all equities purchased inside of Maddox Capital are, are purchased with our capital. Um, but if we need grow capital, we, we have partners for that that give us in, insane rates. And in, instead of um, charging the portfolio company what industry average is, we pass those savings on to the company. Uh, which, I, which I think is unusual in today's market. Um, but it, it, again, it, it's really just trying to get the, the building blocks that we need to put that uh, business plan together. Got it. And then um, the mutual feelings and kindness continue and the decisions made. How is that made at Maddox? Is it just you? Is it the team? Yeah. Uh, is it with dueling pistols? How does it end <laughs> up? Yeah, uh, so again, another thing that makes us different, I think, is our, our speed. We're uh, in the private equity space and growth fund space, uh, the typical time to close is about two months, two to three months. Um, and and there's, a, there's a multitude of reasons for that, but uh, we, we're about three weeks to four weeks. So we close really quickly. We've got a lot of work to do in the beginning. For the most part, we, we know what's going to fit in, you know, with our assets. So as long as we can make the, you know, as long as the founder makes it, you know, look like he can do it do it with us, then we're, we're golden. Gotcha. And what happens when you feel really passionate about a company, and it might not be checking all the boxes, but you can't shake that feeling of, like, for whatever reason, I still like this company. Just you, internally. Like, yeah. how do you react to that? So, so I get this question a lot. Um, I'm, I'm the largest investor in Maddox Capital. Uh, and I'm the GP, so so you would think that I would I would essentially have the final say. So in 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 and I guess I do, but if we all don't agree, and I'm talking about like the three four major of us that sit here and go through deals on a day to day basis, um, then we don't we don't do the deal. It basically gets put to a vote, and and it and it has to be unanimous. So I, I'm not going to push something through and make my team work on a company that they don't want to work on just because I'm I'm bullish on the founder or the specific company. All right, so it is a consensus. And, all right, very cool. And um, deal closes, a good email or phone call goes out, some champagne, um, and then the rubber meets the road. How is your interaction post-deal with your portfolio companies? Yeah. So the next 30 to 90 days are, are, are very, very important uh, post-close. We're either on-site or they're on-site with us, and it's, it's literally 90 days of building a company and operating it at what it would op operate like in two to three years, and then just filling those pieces, filling in the blanks. Send them off on, on their way with, with whoever we put in that company or you know, the tools that we put in the company and let them go to work. Um, we're, we're not going to be the fund that is just coming in on, on board time uh, and, and giving advice at, at, from a board seat. We'll, we typically have like a once a week cadence for the first six months. Um, but, but it's very important that we don't take over the founder's position, the CEO's position, uh, for obvious reasons. But at the same time, if we did the deal, then they know to expect that there's going to be a certain level of, of involvement from our end. We, li we like to think of ourselves as a growth fund partner. 
to be honest. We're just kind of playing second fiddle. Oh, you need an FP&A guy? Here you go. You need marketing specialists? Here you go. You need a CO? Here you go. But um, egos can get involved sometimes, so again, we, we pretty much take a back seat. It, we monitor metrics as long as they meet metrics. Um, we don't we don't get involved too much. If they don't, then we hope that they would ask us so we can you know work on it as a team. But if not, um, we'll, we'll sit we'll sit them down and tell them what we think we can do. Yeah. So very collaborative post deal as well. And um, I assume obviously you're passionate about these companies because you said yes. It's your money. Uh, it's your team. It's your livelihood. Um, to be, you probably become friends with some of these founders, right? Yeah. And um, I can't emphasize enough why I like your model so much. Is like um, I've got trepidation or I've got genuine questions. They can call you guys and have that conversation, right? Yeah, uh, which which again I th- I think is unusual. I um, once once I sold my business, it was. Uh, I, I was assigned a person, you know. I, I could no, I could no longer text the founder and GP for the most part for um, anything outside of work. Um, but we, we we try and stay involved. We try and make sure that they have you know everything they need in their home life as well. Um, I guess I, I don't want to make it sound like we're we're so involved that you have to you have to need 90 things in order to come to Maddox Capital because that's just not true. One of the companies that we're we're closing on is. They, all they need help with is marketing and go to market strategy. It's a company from outside of the United States, and um, which is unusual for us because we, we do we do look primarily in Utah, heavily in Utah, um, although we're opened up everywhere, obviously. But they just need help with marketing. They, the founder is amazing. The CEO is amazing. Um, their their development team is amazing. That we literally think that we'll give them you know a couple weeks worth of work and. They'll be on their way, you know. Probably hit us up next year, and if that's the case, then fantastic. Just makes our job easier. But at the same time, under, keep keeping close with the founders is very important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in a few minutes, we'll open it up to Q and A. Q&A, so uh, get your questions ready. Um, each fund dis- does this differently, and I think um, there's nuances in it. But I think there's a right way to do it. How do you guys say no? Uh, well, again, another thing that makes us different. If if it's truly a deal that's, that can be invested in, we'll put you with somebody that, that can invest. Um, since our model is a little bit different, we've had a lot of outreach from different funds and family offices and strategics, so we've kept those relationships. There's many funds that want, want to join with us in a syndicate fashion. Um, we, have, we haven't done anything like that yet, and I'm not, not necessarily certain I'm going to do that at, at any point, but uh, we've introduced four deals uh, to different funds at this point, and, and they've all closed. Um, so if we can't do it, we'll, we'll put you with somebody who can. If we if we can't do it, we typically give them a timeline. Um, for instance, six to nine months, come back if you haven't taken on capital. But we're we're not just going to send them out the door because it's hard. The, raising capital is insanely hard. Whether you're the the GP and raising a fund, or you're a company that's raising capital for you know for your next growth round. Yeah. And. Um I think it's Bessemer that has their unfund, all their, their misses. You don't have to name names or companies, but are there any that you missed that just sit in your craw and you're like, oh, boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, shoot, if I can go back in, uh, two or three years ago, I could have been you know, a couple billion richer. Yeah. 
Um, but you got to f- forget those ones, right? And just oh, move yeah. On. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and that's the, the, the FOMO thing is real with, in the fund space. Uh, or any, I mean, as an investor, not, not, not g- grabbing a hold of that is, is, is key. I, I personally tell everybody every day, hey, don't get hung up. If you're too emotional, let's just toss this thing to the side. Um, and that scares them enough to kind of settle things down. Obviously, I'm not going to toss a good deal to the side. But with that being said, um, if, if you're too emotional, you, 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 make, you make decisions that you probably shouldn't. Yeah, the psychology of investing is very interesting, especially if you do it every second of every day. Um, and it, I don't think it should be dismissed, right? Like it's a big part of oh, it's huge. being a human. Yeah, it's and totally. brain's like, I'm on the fence. Yep. They got that FOMO. All right. Um, we've got a microphone in the Mac Macy. Yes. Um, raise your hand if you've got a question for Jesse right here in the front. So what sectors interest you the most and what sectors do you like totally avoid? Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so I, I, I should have kind of gone over this earlier, but SaaS and e-commerce is where we play the most. Um, that, that's where most of our strengths are in probably SaaS before that. And then in the e-commerce, um, as far as, Industries that we won't look at. There's a few service industries we won't look at. We won't look at some, you know, different types of oil spaces, etc., because we don't. We're not looking to give our investors a two, three, four percent check, quarterly or annually. Um, we're looking to, you know, return 10x to 30x. So that doesn't necessarily fit. But not not too many industries that we won't look at. If you're a landscaper and you come in, I'll, we'll take a look at the deal. You know, if it if it makes sense. If we think we can grow it, we'll take a look at it. My name's Danielle Lynn. Nice to meet you. Um, I'm in the media business. Uh, it, so you have a company, you've reached a certain plateau, and then there's a scale yeah. possibility, mm-hmm. um, mainly due to technology yeah. expansion, especially in media. Yeah. So you're saying you do look, even if it's not the $2 million mark, and someone's got a platform or a expansion, yeah. you stay open. Oh, of course. So, so we, uh, we call that an inflection point. And if you were to read our pitch deck, it's, it's named 30 times in there. And... Uh, it's basically what you described. There's a founder that started a business and he's really good at understanding a certain part of that business, but sooner or later the business outgrows that, that one piece that he understood and needs 15 pieces. And he's right on the precipice of success or, or tripling, quadrupling growth. He just doesn't know how to get there um, or doesn't have the tools yet. That's, that's what we do. That's Brilliant. the company we look for. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hi there, Howard Mitchell with Vital Neuro. Nice Uh, nice to meet you. Uh, Quick question. Your experience in the last few years with mental well-being in the workforce, human capital, are are you finding that it's harder and harder to get value from people who were burned out and stressed out? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, We we see a lot of companies that have raised seed rounds and, and Series A's that come in that are just looking for a rope to tug on to get themselves out of a certain situation or their staff has just been pushed to the point of, you know, uh, they, they don't know what to do as well. So there's one of those companies that we're looking at right now where we're going to, our, our initiative is to purchase uh, all investors out of the company and, and, and just, you know, be the only money in this specific company and go at it. But um, that, that's, that's a serious problem regardless of whether there's an investment. Uh, and that's something that, that I look for is trying to find and make sure that there's not uh, there's not roadblocks in place, and if there is, can we rejuvenate them? And typically, we start with the staff and making sure that they have all the tools and resources they need, as well as comp. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, it really comes down to how much can you push to hit KPIs and without pushing too hard. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. And provide services for people who are right. screaming for help. So. Yeah, we're in a weird time right now. Everybody wants to work from home. Uh, well, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, but there's a lot of people that want to work from home, especially in the SaaS space. Uh, and some businesses, they need people in their offices. Um, and, and most of the time, it, it's not, if most of their employees want to work from home, it's not, it's not the employee's fault. It's the founder's fault, or it's whoever's managing that company, in my opinion, and sometimes that's on the funds side, sometimes that's, that's on management team and houses side. So we typically start there and, and see if there's any changes that we can make, and if we can make enough changes that people want to come back, and there's a twosies, threesies that don't want to come back, then that's, that's, that's the, when we'll start to make staff changes. But other than that, we typically don't come in and, and lay or fire off anybody, um, unless it's, it's a pretty big scab that we need to peel off. All right. Um, are you able to stick around for a second? Because I know they're yeah. just not asking. Yeah, of course. Them. Very cool. Um, love this story. Love the entrepreneurship of an investor. And uh, thank you so much, Jesse, for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun.